Um, I want you to think about a time when you quit something that you now regret looking back that you quit. Okay, does that make sense? All right, so think about it. It's not a, doesn't, doesn't have to be anything, you know, huge. But um, something you quit, looking back, you now regret that you quit. All right, can you think of anything? Who can think of something? All right, what, sorry, what, what did you quit that you regret? Music. Like, okay, performing. I was going to say, in general, there's still quite a bit of music happening. You're, you, you didn't miss the train on that. But um, so performing. All right? Thank you. Anybody else? What else did you quit that you regret? Learning to play the piano. When did you quit playing the piano? In fifth grade. Okay, we'll come back to that here in a second. Anybody else? Emma? Taking care of your mother. Okay. Oh, that's sweet. Anybody else? All right. There's probably other. Yeah. High school. All right. All of these questions that we're going to now have will relate to any of these. I'm going to, just because this is, I don't think there's a ton of shame related to quitting, but, so let me ask you this. I want you to pretend for a moment that you're back in fifth grade, all right? And so I'm going to ask you some questions if you're in fifth grade. All right. Um, why did you start playing piano? Your mom signed you up. All right, but now the future you is looking back and kind of regretting, but you got started because mom put you into it. Did mom have some bad motives, by the way? Was she, or she was looking, she just thought that'd be good for you? Oh, okay. So, um, why did you quit? Oh, so you got teased. Oh, my gosh. I, maybe I, I, I tapped into something deeper than I was anticipating. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I was thinking this would be pretty benign. Now we want to gather and pray for you um, <laughs> and take an offering for therapy. All right. All right. So what would your present self say to your fifth grade self about quitting? stuff. That's really good stuff. I really appreciate you, Sherry. I think some of what you were saying could be applied to all kinds of situations. In, in sort of in summary, there are moments in life when we quit something that the future us will look back on and go, I wish I hadn't. And the reasons I did, looking back, don't feel so significant. Um, we're not going to redo our piano lessons from childhood, but you know, you're at church, you can probably guess where we're going to go with this, um, which is that I think there is also in our, our spiritual lives something that is similar, that I think even in this moment right now that there are some of us who are struggling with, do I, I want to quit, I want to quit. Um, it may not look like, you know, an uh, absolute end date of like playing the piano or something, but it, 
it, it is this, I just can't take this anymore. It feels too hard. I'm tired. I don't like being teased. I don't like the, 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 what, the anxiety that it creates to do this thing. Whatever it may be. And so I'm going to assume that that's part of our experience as peoples and as people and followers of Christ. Um, if that's not in any way on your radar, um, that, that's fine. That's good, actually. I, I'm happy for you. You're going to feel like you wasted 25 minutes, but that's not my fault. Um, I'm going to read here a passage from the book of Hebrews. I think the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, and it's, it's interesting, it's the only letter we don't have a, a real confidence on who wrote it, but because it is so truthful, it, 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 just, it just resonates with the gospel in so many ways. Um, but it was written um, to people that were like us, that they were thinking, I, I don't know that, this is not what I signed up for and I'm tired, and I'm thinking I don't want to do this anymore. So before I read that, I want to pray. Oh, Lord, you know, oh, my gosh, how excited I get sometimes about the gospel. And I just, I just, is like a little kid. Sometimes I forget how good the news is. And then there's other parts of my life, Lord, that I don't live remembering that. And there are even things that are sort of religious. Oh God, I want you to, I want to integrate that. I, I want to be a person who's, who can just live with the simplicity of this gospel. A lot of my pain, Lord, I confess, is I make this more complicated and I make it about me. Like even in this moment when I'm preaching, I'm worried about how I'm going to be received. I'm worried about what people are going to think of me. I'm worried if I'm going to do a good job. And I'm worried more about that than I am being excited about how fun it is to talk about good news. So I confess that. And I'm going to pause and let you think about maybe some things that are making even this moment difficult for you to hear the good news. Oh, Lord, help us today as we leave to have a little bit more spring in our step and a little bit more um, com committed to this simple gospel truth. You love us. Amen. All right. So I want to read, there's this, uh, in Hebrews 10.25, uh, 1024 is where I'll start. The context being, in our minds, let's just picture, let's assume, these are people who are on the edge of saying, should I keep, should I keep doing this Christian thing? Is, is this worth it? Or should I just give up? Believing that if, if we do, we would look back some point in our life and go, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Verse 24, and let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I'm going to emphasize a, a word here, let us, let us. 
consider how we can spur each other toward love and good deeds. Not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So here's something that just kind of in background that'll help and just to remember it's, it's not good or bad, it's just different. That my understanding of sort of Eastern culture, the culture in which the Bible was written, there was a, a stronger sense that when, for instance, when the Bible was being, these letters were being sent, that there was a, so it was a communal experience. It was an us experience. You'll read, you'll notice that a lot of times in Scripture. And in sort of Western version of the faith, again, it's not good or bad, there's, the emphasis is on sort of the just me and Jesus. So when life is hard, sort of our solution might look more like just you and Jesus alone, and maybe their solution might look maybe more like what are we going to process together, and maybe, it, maybe it's both, but just to remember that. So I, I just, I'm just noticing that because I think one of the ways in which we can sort of avoid or combat or be encouraged to not give up is to remember that this, this, is a, this is a team experience. This is, this is not like, if using a sports analogy, this is less like tennis and more like basketball or football or soccer or some other team sport. This is us together. All right, so let us do this. What do I mean? Well, look over one more chapter. So we're going to skip chapter 11, even though we're going to talk about chapter 11. Chapter 12 then says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising it, despising the shame, and has sat down now at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such conflict and opposition from sinful people so that you won't grow weary and you won't give up. You won't lose heart. All right. This idea that we are in this together. That I, I'm gonna, I, I need a team. Who's my team? So he says... Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. What is this? What is, that's kind of strange language. Cloud of witnesses are, are simply the people who've gone before us and are now cheering us along. They are our heroes, our examples, and our companions. I don't know if you, has anybody here ever done the Boulder Boulder? They do it on um, is it Memorial Day. It's Memorial Day. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people do this about a six-mile route. And my wife and I have done it many, many years. Um, well, I should. We do the walking portion. So they send all the runners, and then the very last group are people who look like me. And we're all together. And Legion is our number. And, um, but what is really fun is, I don't, you know, six miles is a long, I mean, that's a pretty good walk. And you, I, I can't describe to you how fast those six miles go when you're walking with thousands and thousands and thousands of other people. And everywhere you go along the road, there are, pe there are they've set up like, there's people in their front yards with bands and, and little snacks and refreshments, and they wear costumes and they clap for you and they cheer you on. And never once when you're in that group, never once have I thought, ah, 
this is, this is, I'm tired, I'm going to quit. I can't tell you how many six-mile walks or runs I have begun by myself in which a half a mile in going, yeah, I just need a cookie. Like, the difference is there, there's just no way to compare them. And our experience is we've been made in such a way that maybe not in every moment of life, but for much of life to spiritually endure, we need each other. So he says, look through this cloud of witnesses. In other words, what do you see there of somebody who had faith that you can draw some of what they had? So there's these stories. He tells tons and tons of stories. I'll, I'll highlight two very famous ones. The first story would be Noah. You know, every, I think everybody knows, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, first day you've ever walked into a church, you've probably heard about Noah. Okay? So the story of Noah is God comes to him one day, and what does God tell Noah to do? Maybe you're not as familiar as I assumed. <laughs> God said to Noah, he said to build an, an ark. Okay. Let's just face it. Nobody, I have never used the word ark unless I was talking about Noah. That's not a word I ever used. April and I have, have we have an ark out at Chatfield Reservoir. Okay. It's just a boat. All right, let's just use boat. We know boat. So he says to Noah, hey, I want you to build a boat. An enormous boat. Now, we all know, okay, we know it's big because it's going to take, and, and I think it's likely that he was saying, just you don't have to take a huge, full-grown animal. Just take a little baby, two of each baby, and we'll get them all, we'll stuff them all in there. Um, how long, if you're a Bible scholar, about, we don't know exactly, how, about how long do you think it took to build an ark? This big. Bigger, big enough to hold two of little babies of every animal, like a couple football fields this way and that way and this way. Ginormous, right? We think around 100 years. Is that right? I don't know. Well, just agree with me then. Yeah. If you don't know, <laughs> what would that cost you? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> All right, so about, let's just say 100 years. We'll pretend. If I'm wrong, it's not the worst heresy I've ever given. And so 100 years... Now, here's the fun part, a fun part. Where is he building this enormous boat? In the middle of nowhere. It is nowhere near a big Chatfield Reservoir lake. It's nowhere near, there's nowhere near an ocean. They have not invented Ford F-150s to drag it someplace yet. That's way down in the field. There's no way to move this thing. It's so enormous. Okay, so your neighbor, for a hundred years, is building a boat so huge in the middle of nowhere. Would you let your kids go to his kid's house for a party? Like this guy is, like this is the most insane thing ever. And so you know people are coming by all the time. Tell us again, Noah, what's going on? Like, why are you building this here? Now, what does Noah say? A hundred years, this is what he says. I don't really know, other than this, this is what God told me to do. For a hundred years, his only defense is this is what God told me to do. If we could interview Noah, 
during year one through 99, and we were to say to him, Noah, how you feeling about this? I don't know, is it fair to say I'm tired? I'm sick of feeling like a freak. I'm tired of people laughing. I'm tired of not even knowing for sure what I'm doing. I'm, I'm tired of trying to remember, did I really hear God say that, or am I just making this up? Was I, did I just drink too much that day? You, you know all the crazy stuff we as people would do. But if we asked him any moment from the first raindrop passed, Noah, do you regret that you hung in there? Do you wish you'd given up now? Like, no. His, his faith endured. Here, here's the reality. We're, we're probably not going to build a boat, but God has asked you, I bet you know, God has asked you to do something. And sometimes you're only left with the memory that you know it's to be true. But it, it, the answer feels so insufficient. And you've gotten tired. You're just tired. Abraham, remember the story of Abraham. Abraham, the Bible says, you know, we know the story God had promised Abraham that he was going to bless the entire universe because of the lineage, because Abraham was going to have this kid, this boy. But Abraham is a hundred years old about, and, and, and the Bible is great. He's not quite a hundred, but the Bible is kind of fun in the way it describes him. It, it's, it's trying to say in a polite way, his plumbing doesn't even work anymore. Like, it's old plumbing, hundred-year-old plumbing, you know. The pipes aren't what they used to be, and, and the idea that he's going to have a child, it, it just seems crazy, but he... he he believes it, and he has this boy. Can you? I just tried to picture what the day of delivery looked like when Isaac was born. I just tried to picture, can you imagine the unbelievable joy as Abraham walks into the delivery room? Well, he doesn't walk. He probably has a walker into the delivery room. And, um, and so then God comes back to Abraham 15 or so years later, and Aaron's going, hey, God, it's good to hear from you. Last time was awesome. Let's do something like that again. And so 15 years later, God says to Abraham, what? Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, that boy that you're talking about that you love so much, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Mount Moriah National Park, leave everybody at the campground below, you guys hike to the top, and there I want you to make a sacrifice of Isaac to me. Worst day of Abraham's life, right? Worst day. And the Bible says that Abraham had this sense, this belief, this faith, that if, because if, he thought he was just going to have to continue, but that God would somehow resurrect Isaac. And so, well, that, well, that makes it all okay. I mean, the way the language were, it, it sounds to me like Abraham sort of had the knife poised and was ready to make that sacrifice. Imagine for a moment that Isaac, knowing what's about to happen, is asking Dad what? Why? Why are you doing this? Why? Why? What does Abraham say back to his son Isaac? Is that all you got, God? Is that all you got, Dad? <laughs> I mean, there's all you got is God. I think God told me this. That's all you got? Abraham, what's the worst day of your life? It was that day. 
Looking back, do you regret that you, you listened to God as scary and as hard as it was? No, I don't regret that one bit. When I say listen to God, it, it absolutely could be the, the still voice in our heart. It could very likely be from the words of Scripture that we know to be true. It could be something that somebody has spoken to me that God has used and become His Word, in a sense, to me in a different way. But why, why are you doing this? Why? Because God told me. I'm going to ask you a question that I think leads to enormous spiritual fatigue. And it is this. What are you defending? I think life is all of, um, it's sort of like a, it's, a, it's like eighth grade is on constant repeat for the rest of our lives. We just keep reliving. Like, I, I have the, some of the same fears. I, I'm still like an eighth grader. I still can remember walking into the lunchroom with my little, you know, and having this feeling. I don't, I'm a freak. I'm weird. I don't belong. Who's going to love me? Where can I sit? Where do I belong? And what I didn't know, and what, if, if you were to interview me as an eighth grader, I would say, I feel like I'm the only one. But if we could interview every eighth grader in the lunchroom, whether they're popular or not, what are they feeling? The same thing. Who's going to love me today? What do they think of me? What, what, kind of, what kind of response am I going to see in their eyes? Because what I see them giving to me is that's who I am. If all I can say is, this is, this is what God said I am. This is who God said I am. I, um, I was, we were talking last night up at Evergreen, and I was sharing, I think I've told you guys, my wife and I moved into a double-wide mobile home down in a senior mobile home park, double-wide mobile home down in South Littleton. And it, of all the places we've lived, we've been married 38 years, we've had lots of nights, this is our favorite place we've ever lived. Okay, love it. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When people ask me where I live, this is just being honest, I'm embarrassed to say I live in a mobile home. I have no idea why. Like, why would I be embarrassed? I love this place. I, I, want, to, I want to give some caveat that, that shows that I'm, this is terrible. I'm just going to be really honest, because and maybe you live in a mobile home, and I'm, I, I want to give some caveat to that, like, but I don't want you to think I'm like a loser. Why? Because like an eighth grade kid, I believe what you think about me defines who I am. And that's just a small example. What happens when people say I'm not a very good pastor or I'm not very loving or whatever? And all I can say is that's not who God says I am. To I, I, there's not one, there's not even a morsel of me that believes God is in heaven going, 
Hey guys, you see where Carl and April moved? What a loser. Now we still love him because that's our job, but he lives in a mobile home, people. We can do better than this. Isn't it weird? I don't know what that means for you. But I know the energy it takes for me to defend who I want you to think I am. Instead of just, in a sense, looking to my heroes, who I had, I think I twisted the story. You think, I, I think now looking back, I think they went, it was hard, but they said, you know, God told me to do this. And that's all I need. I'd love, one of these days, we're just, I'd love for us to sit around and talk about what's your feeling of being in eighth grade right now? What are you defending? We'll, we'll do that maybe another time. All right. He goes on in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, getting our team together, our heroes, we can, they've made it, we can make it too. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let's run with perseverance. Let's run without giving up the race that's marked out for us. He says two things. He says, let us run with perseverance. This throwing off the things that, um, the sin that so easily entangles and that which hinders us. Or th- that which hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. I think they're probably two different things that are, are making life harder. The, the analogy, I think, would be something like this. You're trying to run this six-mile, um, whatever, 5K, and you, you're carrying a backpack full of stuff. I think what he's saying is that the, the spiritual life, that this persevering is difficult, but it's, it's way more difficult when you're carrying the sin and the hindrance. So the sin would be this. So everything, the, 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 the sin would be the things that you and I, if we were, there would be no controversy that this is not a good idea. Like it would be the kind of thing that we would all totally agree that if we saw one of our friends doing this, we would say to them, this is going to make your life worse, not better. Just as simple as that. This will make your life worse, not better. We would all, you know, whatever it could be, millions of different kinds of sins, but it wouldn't be controversial in a sense. It's, it's clear. And it happens. So it's, I'm not saying that's not true in our lives. We do that. But the one that I think is more kind of difficult is the hindrance. I think the hindrance is specific kind of to each person. Like there, there isn't, my hindrance isn't the same as your hindrance. In other words, a hindrance is something that we wouldn't all agree is not helpful or good. In fact, most of us would think it is good. Recreation. Take anything. Recreation, money, sex, food. Things that God has marvelously created. But as a hindrance, when they become the the way in which I don't need God anymore. The thing when I'm spiritually tired, when I'm scared, lonely, angry, hurt. The thing I go to so I don't need to go to God. Scared, lonely, tired, angry, insecure, and I go to this, that's now become my God. That's our hindrance. It's not the thing itself that's bad. And it is the kind of thing that other people are going, well, man, I I go for a run, or I watch some TV, and it's great. It kind of helps me. 
But for me, it's, it's the thing that isn't helpful. One more. Um, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's a couple of ways to read this. One I don't think would be that helpful. One way to read this is, look what Jesus did. So you suck it up. You're not suffering like Jesus suffered. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. It's not as bad for you as it was for him. So suck it up, because he didn't give up, so you shouldn't give up. Try harder. That'd be one way to look at it. Or, another way to look at it is, backing up just a little bit, Jesus endured unbelievable and enormous pain. Why? For the joy set before him. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? Us. Us, yeah. For the joy, the reality that he was excited about our connection to him because of what the cross, he didn't want to do the cross, but the cross was the only way that that could happen. And so he was so excited about you that he endured the cross. Consider Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Think about this. He was so excited about me. I think he's saying, that's going to help you not grow weary. That's going to help you not lose heart. When you believe a different story than that, you're, you're at risk of spiritual fatigue and giving up. When you believe the story is this, if I work harder and I do better, then he's going to like me and love me better. You're at risk for spiritually giving up when you believe something that isn't the gospel, which has something to do with it's about you. Your ability, your energy. Consider him so you'll not grow weary and lose heart. trying to think how we can process this. Here, here's what I'd like to do. And I know we, it feels a little cliche, but if you wouldn't mind, maybe close your eyes for a second. Let me ask you just a couple of questions. I've asked one already, but I'm going to add to it. One is, what are you defending? Is there something you're defending? Is it your reputation, your image? And the other is, what do you fear? Is it your future, your finances, your health, 
your relationships? What are you defending? What are you fearing? If Jesus was excited to go to the cross because of you, what might he say to that thing that you're defending? What would the one who's excited to be with you say about the thing that you fear? Lord, you, you know. You know how defensive I can be. You know how I keep replaying conversations and experiences. And I try to do a do-over in my head so people won't think I'm so dumb. Lord, you know how I sometimes can't sleep because I'm scared. Lord, it makes me tired. So I pray for me and I pray for my friends this. Lord, help me. Help me be part of a community of people I can say those things out loud to. And oh Lord, those places where I run that are not you. Save me from those. Like Jesus prayed, I don't want to go into that temptation. And Lord Jesus, help me live in the reality of the good news. Amen. We... um. We remember each week. And the reason we have this remembrance each week is there's, I guess, I don't know, maybe it's like spiritual senility or something because we tend to forget. <laughs> I love, I love that we have a reminder each week when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, do this saying over and over again what is true. That because I was excited for you, you are so valuable to me, he would say. That my body was broken. And my blood was shed. For the forgiveness of your sins. I am maybe today we remember perhaps you are spiritually fatigued perhaps we we think of the of the table as our nourishment today the thing that will give you the energy his body and his blood the brown cup will be the wine and the whiter cups will be the juice. If you're visiting, um, just a reminder that 
anybody who wants the body of Christ and the blood of Christ is welcome. Everybody's invited, but nobody's forced. And as Jesus said, thank you, Father, for this. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, including my fatigue and my weakness, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.